Well, we are continuing on in our summer sermon series in the Psalms. For the last few weeks, we've been in the Psalms, uh, and our, uh, the title of this series is God Our Refuge, Finding and Delighting in the God Who Saves Us. So it's been my hope that as we give ourselves to these Psalms, we will learn more about who God is, we'll learn more about the world, and uh, learn more about uh, who we are. And in turning to these Psalms each Sunday this summer, um, we would in, then in practice in our daily lives turn to the Psalms in the midst of our joys and our sorrows and our confusion and our indifference and our boredom. The Psalms would be the place that we turn to give language to whatever circumstances we might be facing. They would be this, uh, this commentary on our world. It would be the, the words and the truths and the, the images that would stir our hearts and, and guide our imaginations and help us to uh, understand all that is going on uh, in our lives and, and, and in our lives and in our world. A few weeks ago, we looked at Psalms one, uh, and then we looked at Psalm two, and we saw that both of those Psalms serve as an introduction to the rest of the book of the Psalms. They really don't address God directly, so they're more of a user guide for prayer and for interacting with with God. It's it's as though it's to say, like, here's what to expect. Here's what to expect if you pray like this. If you give yourselves to these psalms. And Psalm 1 and 2 are kind of telling you, this is what you can expect to happen. And this is the kind of God that you are approaching and that you are being invited to pray to. So this morning, we're going to get into it. Psalm 3, the first prayer really uh, by David um, in the psalms. And I find it rather curious and very important that the tone of this psalm is one of desperation. King David is in a desperate spot. He's got desperate words and he's praying a desperate prayer. So it's a brief psalm. I want you to listen to it and as you do listen for the words of desperation and see if perhaps you can relate to David's predicament in any way. So let's give ourselves to Psalm 3. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. O Lord how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul there is no salvation for him in God. But you O Lord are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Would you pray with me? Oh God, as we approach your psalm this morning, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see what David saw, that you are mighty to save, that you have rescued and will, in fact, rescue us, even in the midst of our desperation. You would give us ears to hear the ways in which you work in the world, and you would stir our hearts, that we would take great courage in who you are and what you have come to do. But God, let these words, let these meditations of Psalm 3 be what guides us today and this week and all the days of our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure some of you have taken road trips this summer, May, maybe some of you with little kids, or we still have a few weeks left in the summer, so maybe you have a long road trip uh, even in front of you um, in the coming weeks. If you have really small kids, you know that there's something that you have to plan for if you're going to take an extended uh, road trip. 
It's the, their cries and their pleas of desperation. This is one of the great challenges to enduring a road trip with little kids. It's gauging their desperation. So when my kids were much younger, uh, the question I would always end up asking is, well, how bad is it? How hungry are you? How bad is the hunger? Well, how badly do you have to go to the bathroom? How deep is the wound in the backseat? How bad is the spill? All these questions, always gauging the desperation of what's going on and, and, and where they are, how hungry they really were. So you're in this constant state of assessment of the desperation because it feels like if you were to stop every time you had a cry of desperation, then you would never get to where you were going. No matter how long or how short the road trip was, you would never make it. So I'd always have to bargain, always having to push it. Can you wait five more minutes? Can we wait 10 miles? Can we last one more exit until we get there, until we stop? I wanted so badly to avoid those cries of desperation that for several summers, when we were preparing these long road trips, and when we did these long road trips, we did it in the middle of the night, which is its own cry of desperation on a parent's behalf. Any parent willing to drive through the night for an extended time uh, is crying out for desperation. But at least, even if you were completely exhausted, and wasted the next two days uh, trying to recover um, once you got to your destination, you were able to avoid the desperate pleas for food and bathrooms and being separated from the siblings and general boredom. Because at least the kids would sleep even if you didn't. Now, of course, I'm telling you all of that because Psalm 3 is all about praying our desperation. This is what David is doing in this psalm. And I find this interesting, an interesting way to start the first prayer of the psalm. There's no warm-up here. There's no sort of easing into the prayers uh, that we find in the Psalms. You know, David or Israel later could have rearranged these Psalms to ease us in before we get to the desperation. Could have gotten some Psalms of praise or maybe, maybe throw something in there like, Lord, thanks for this great day. Help me, David, be a better king. Give me some wisdom. I've got a busy schedule in front of me. Or specific to this situation with Absalom, David could have said, um, you know, Lord, things are not going well with my son, Absalom. Lord, move in his heart, help him, protect him, something like that. But nope, we jump right into the deep end with this prayer of desperation by King David. I find it a little unnerving to start like this. This is the road trip equivalent to hearing the cries and pleas from the kids before you even get to the Holland Tunnel. Like you're not even out on the road trip and already you're hearing the pleas of desperation. We're barely getting into the Psalms. We're not even really into the Psalms and already now we're confronted with David's desperate cry. But I think the psalm is put in the front, the beginning of the Psalter, intentionally to show us this one fact, that God welcomes our desperation. God welcomes your desperate cries, your desperate pleas for help. He wants all of it. See, unlike me, who was willing to drive through the night like a crazy person to avoid my children's cries for help, the God of the universe, the one who wants to, the one who created you and sustained you, he wants to hear yours. He wants to hear your cries of desperation. And that's what I want you to understand this morning. That's what Psalm 3 is all about. And therefore, what I want you to see this morning is that Psalm 3 teaches us to pray our desperation, to pray our desperate moments, not to ignore them, not, uh, not to tr ignore them like I try to do with my kids, or not just to bear it away, or not just to try and get through it until the circumstances change, but to acknowledge it to acknowledge our desperation, to own it, and then to see it as a gift. To see it as a gift. And of course, this is incredibly difficult to do. 
And we generally don't do this well. We don't see our desperation as a gift. We see desperation as something to be avoided. And if it can't be avoided, then to be endured. And if desperation must be endured, then somehow, someway, at some time, we must overcome. But David finds, as he prays his prayer of desperation, and he wants us to see, that God welcomes his cries, he answers his prayer, and then he gives him courage. He welcomes his cries, he answers his prayers, and he gives him courage. And those are the three things I want to look at uh, briefly this morning. So first, God welcomes his cries. The subtitle of this psalm gives us a little indication of what's going on. It says, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So here's the background. Absalom, who's David's son, tried to seize the throne from David through a military coup and put David on the run. So now David has uh, all sorts of enemy armies after him. His world is becoming undone, and he is incredibly desperate. His enemies are growing, and they want to drive him into the wilderness, and they want to kill him. They want to end him. And that's just verse 1. In verse 2, David, we see this. David says, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Now you can really see this in 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 18. All this is Uh, All this is the background that's going on. But David's opponents are not just trying to harm him physically. They're calling his very identity as king into question. They're calling his, uh, his identity as God's anointed into question. His opponents are saying, God has left David. David has done all these terrible things and God has left him. And therefore, David has no right to be king. He has no right to be on the throne. And so this is all of why David finds himself in such a desperate situation. And while we can't resonate exactly with David's situation, since we are not kings living and ruling in the ancient Near East who are about to be overthrown overthrown by our son, thankfully, there is his desperation that if we're honest with ourselves, we have all felt or are feeling and experiencing at one level or another. And so the tendency here In reading Psalm 3 and and giving ourselves to it, it might be, okay, great, I'll remember this psalm when I'm in a real bind. When I'm really desperate, I'll I'll remember to return to this. But for right now, I'm good. So let's just stick to maybe some uplifting, positive psalms on a Sunday afternoon. But what I want you to see is that David was in a desperate situation long before he he had his son trying to kill him. Long before his own nation was rising up to overthrow him. Long before the speculation that God's presence had left him. See, David was in a desperate situation long before he had sinned against God by sleeping with Bathsheba and having her husband Uriah killed. David was in a desperate situation because he's human. This is what the psalm is getting at. David's life, your life, my life, our lives are so fragile. And we are not in nearly as much control as we like to think. And oftentimes it's only the news that we get about failing health or some global conflict that hits home or a tragedy that, that, uh, that we experience that actually drives us to this level of desperation. But the reality is that, those, that that news of ill health or a tragedy or something else is only uncovering the reality of the situation that we are all in a fragile state. Which means this psalm is a psalm for us to turn to all the time. But as we'll see through the rest of the psalm, admitting our desperation and coming to grips with our fragile condition, it's not something to be avoided. 
but it's a reality that we ought to embrace. It is the gift that God gives us. So that, and that it's a gift that we also can give to one another and to our neighbors and to the city. Because it's only as David recognizes his, his fragility and only recognizes his desperation in, in verses 1 and 2 and finally admits his desperation that we get verses 3 through 8. Which is a God who can handle your desperation. And that is the gift. That is the beauty of the psalm. For David and for us to admit our desperation and to come clean about our limitations and our fears and our inadequacies before God, it actually opens us up to a God who can handle all of it, who welcomes us because of our fragility, because of our desperation. So first, David acknowledges this desperation. The enemies are rising like a tidal wave. They're about to overwhelm, overwhelm him. That's what he says in verse 1. His enemies are rising against him. And in verse 4, David says, I cried out to you, O Lord. Now some translations put it this way. With my voice to Yahweh, I kept crying. And he did answer me. See, I think this is uh, important. When David says, with my voice, I kept crying to Yahweh. He's describing this deeply personal crying out to God. David is laying out before the Lord in detail all that he is facing. And this ought to be a model for us in our prayer. Praying our desperation means spelling out our prayers and our predicament in our own words. Coming personally to God and telling him the whole story as we see it. Telling him the whole story as we understand it. Tell him the whole mess. Tell him everything. All the sordid details. Perhaps some of the mess that you made. Or the mess that someone else had made. Your fears and concerns for your own life. Your fears and concerns for those whom you love and care for. And are causing some of this desperation. Lay it all out there. See, David holds nothing back. That's what he's saying in that verse. And God welcomes all of it. So first, God welcomes our prayers and he welcomes our desperation. But then we also find, David finds, that God answers his prayer. Look at verse 3. But you, O Lord, are shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Notice first that David is on the run, but he's not really retreating. What is one of the first things we do when we face our desperation, no matter how it comes about? Well, oftentimes our world closes in, and it gets much, much smaller. We immediately move to self-protection. Self How can I fix this? How can I do damage control? How can I manage this? I can't appear desperate. There must be another way. I'll get through this somehow. I just have to think clearly about it and, and do the right strategies. But David is not looking for a way to manage his crisis. And when he says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, he's using battle imagery. Notice he says that you are a shield about me. Many commentators suggest that David is re referring to a special kind of shield that would offer protection not only in the front, like a smaller shield, but also one of, one of a larger shield that offered protection from above, from arrows, and from the sides, from enemies he might not see. But the shield was used for moving into battle, not for retreat. So for David, the reality of his desperate condition is not a reason to retreat and go into self preservation mode. Rather, it's an invitation to see that God is leading and protecting him. And he's not just protecting him physically. He's restoring his identity. Remember, many are saying that he has lost his identity as king. God's presence has left him. But here in verse 3, he says, David says, you are the glory. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. 
See, again, David's desperation has led him back to a God who defines who he is. David can say, Lord, even if I lose everything, even if I lose everything, I still have you. You are all I need. And so David raises his head with hope, not because of what others might say of him, but because of who God has called him to be. I think it's so easy to lose our identity, to lose who we are when we find ourselves in desperate moments. This is often how people discover you're in a desperate place. When they say something like, you don't seem like yourself, what's going on? What's wrong? What's happening? You're not the person I knew. See, it's so easy to become disoriented with even our own selves when we face our desperation. But this this psalm is our guide. Because for David, in his desperation, instead of losing his identity, he's finding it again. And not in his ability to navigate the situation, not in his ability to overcome his desperation and get out of it, but he's finding his identity again in a God who welcomes him and welcomes his desperation. Look back again at verse 4. David says, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. So once again, we have a God hearing the desperate cries of David. And remember, David is, or at least once was, a strong and mighty king. If anyone had would have it together, it's David. If anyone should be able to offer a sensible, logical prayer with proper language, fit for a king to his God, it's David. But no, David's in such desperation that he just cries aloud. And he also finds that the Lord answers. And now David's desperation has opened him up to see God's provision in a new way. Again, this is the gift of desperation. Because listen to what he's thankful for. Listen to how David responds in verse 5. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Really, David? You're on the run. Every, your world is falling apart. You have armies after you. And the thing you're thankful for is a good night's sleep? That doesn't seem to line up. But now for sure, for those of you who do find yourselves in despair and desperation, you know that sleep is most definitely an answered prayer. You're longing for it, you're crying out for it, and when you get it, it is an answered prayer. And if you read through the Psalms, you will find a surprising amount of references to sleep, to being able to lie down, just to have some rest. It's all over the Psalms. And the continual thanks and praise for sleep. David was always tired, and he knew the gift of rest and the gift of sleep. But David's desperate state has opened him up to seeing God in ways that he hadn't seen before. See, David had experienced that he knew God's provision for battle. David had watched as God had delivered him, uh, delivered him Goliath and the, and from the Philistines. And how David uh, had used him to, to have Israel conquer nation after nation. All the big stuff. He'd seen that. But now as David faces his own mortality, he can thank God for something as basic as rest. And not just thank God for the rest, but actually see it as a provision, as an answered prayer. See, David's made it through another day and another night. And he knows it's only by God's grace, and so he gives him thanks. But also, David is looking back, and he can see that this night, specifically, that David is talking about in Psalm 3, when he's on the run from his son Absalom, that was the same night that Ahithophel, Absalom's counselor, had wanted to send 12,000 men after David. Again, you can read all about this in, in 2 Samuel. So, so Ahithophel wanted to send, uh, was trying to convince Absalom to send 12,000 men 
after David because he knew David was tired. He knew he was weary, and he kind of knew that that night that they could get David, they could capture him and kill him. But one of David's men, who had made it back to Absalom, Hushai, convinced Absalom to wait. Wait a little bit longer. Why don't you amass a greater army? Let's just hold off for a time so we can amass a greater army, and then we'll go after David, and then we can kill him. And of course, this gave David more time. It gave him more rest. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing turn of events. But this is the answered prayer that David is talking about. Right? In this story, David took action. He sent Hushai back to Absalom. And then he prayed. He prayed his desperation. And in his desperation, he can now see how God was orchestrating all these events to rescue David. And see, when we pray the Psalms, when we use those words to pray our prayers of desperation, we begin to have eyes for the ways that God orchestrates people and events and circumstances in order to rescue us. See, Psalm 3 is intended for you and me to consider how God is protecting us, how he has given us rest. And it's also intended for us to be asking questions, okay, what am I missing? What are the ways that God is protecting me? What are the ways that he's answering my prayers and I'm just not seeing and I'm just not understanding how he's doing it? What might I be missing? And especially in our desperation, in our exhaustion, in our weariness, in our fear, we can easily miss the way God protects us. We can miss the way he sustains us. We can miss the way he rescues us. See, David is teaching us to open our eyes to God's provision. Well, the last thing I want you to see is that David also acts with great courage. He has a courageous heart, even as he's crying out his desperation. His desperate prayers actually lead him to true courage. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Now again, as far as we know, nothing in in uh, David's circumstances really changed from verse 1 to verse 6. I mean, he has, he's sustained in the night, but he still has armies all around him. People are still trying to kill him. Absalom is still hot on his trail. But see, his desperation has stripped him of all trust in his own strength. It stripped him of trust in his own armies. David isn't taking comfort in any power of his own, which is why David doesn't summon those armies or those forces that he still has at his disposal. But instead, he summons God. Listen again to verses 7 and 8. Arise, O Lord, and save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, and you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. So now you have this pattern in the psalm. Uh, David's enemies are rising in verse 1, right? So now there's the enemies are rising in verse 1. What does David do in verse 5? He lies down. Only to do what? In verses 7 and 8, to summon God to rise up and conquer his enemies. See, David can sleep and he can rest because he knows that God will rise. That God is on Zion, his holy hill. He's going to rise higher than any enemy can arise against him. See, David's courage in the face of many thousands trying to kill him only comes with the courage to summon the God of the universe. To bring justice to his enemies. It's so telling that David isn't devising a plan here for counterattack, but he's summoning God to protect him. And thus, at last, his desperation has led him not to fear and not to retreat, but to actually face his enemies with great courage, only because he knows that God is with him. And this is how the reality of our desperation can lead us, not to retreat, not to fear, but to courage, 
Because in the midst of our desperation, we acknowledge our weakness. We acknowledge our helplessness. And then we ask God to rescue us. And then, because God loves to rescue his people, we get to watch and see just how God is going to do that. Just how God does rescue us. This is the great gift of acknowledging our desperation. It's the prayer of a desperate people that then leads to a prayer of a courageous people. See, desperation, when rightly acknowledged and rightly directed, leads us to a God who offers us courage and hope. And what hope this must have been for Israel as they would sing and pray this psalm through the ages, knowing that their king knew what it was like to face desperation. David was such a great, an ex such a great example for ancient Israel and for us as we face the realities of our desperations. But we can only follow David's example if we remember that he was the anointed king. He was the one who was foreshadowing the true king to come. And the fulfillment of God's promises to David, they weren't going to come with Absalom, who was trying to overthrow David, but they weren't even going to come with Solomon, who was far greater and far more powerful than David himself. It was going to come through great David's even greater son. See, like David, Jesus knew what it was to be desperate. But unlike David, Jesus' desperation didn't come from any fault of his own or any sort of misgiving or mis, uh, misdoing. Uh, Jesus' uh, desperation comes from his love of the world. That's why he shares in our desperation. Jesus willingly became desperate by taking on flesh so that we would know the very heart of God. And that heart of God has come to rescue us and to rescue the world. In Jesus, we know that now we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us and in everything, even in our most desperate moments. But also in Jesus, the greater David, we have a king who rises. Just like David had prayed for in verses 7 and 8, arise, O king. In his resurrection, we now have one who not only sympathizes, not only knows our desperation and hears us, but he actually overcomes it. He has broken the teeth of evil. Jesus in his death and resurrection has broken the teeth of the wicked. He's the one who has and ultimately will. And he will finally strike all enemies on the cheek. Those enemies that lead us into desperation. He will render them harmless. He is our shield. He is our glory. The lifter of our heads. A man of sorrows like us who shares our struggles. But then he also offers us the victory that David was only glimpsing, but for a moment. And lastly, and finally, most beautifully, Jesus invites us to this table. It's here at this table that we acknowledge our desperation. To come and be fed at this table is to do what David is calling us to do. Cry out to God, acknowledge our desperation. But here in coming to this table, we also find rest. Rest and hope in the God who rescues because here at this table, our Lord is feeding us. He's nourishing us to sustain us. And here at this table, we also see the ways that God answers our prayers, the promises that he makes for his people, that he is risen. And even now, our Lord Jesus is ruling and reigning. And he invites us at this table so that we would be a people who bring our desperate cries to him and then find a God who is mighty and willing and eager to save. The promise and hope for you comes here at this table. So let's come now and be fed by him, be nourished by him, 
and bring our desperate cries to him. Would you pray with me? Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God that loves to hear the cries of your people. Even in our desperation, even if it's the mess that we make, you, because you are rich in mercy, lavish us with your love and bend your ear to us and then provide a way for us. We thank you that you have answered David's prayer and in so doing you have answered ours, that you have risen and now you protect us and guide us. So help us to bring the deepest parts of ourselves, our cries of desperation to you so that we can find you mighty to save. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.